Who's in charge here? That's a question that I've been asking myself as we've been uh, going through this uh, pandemic. Um, who is in charge here? Uh, looking at uh, our city, uh, who's in charge? Who, who's making the decisions in our city, in our state, um, in, in our country, in the nation? We're, we're asking ourselves, who's in charge and who's making the decisions? And who's got the final word in all that, that is going on, especially with the, the coronavirus in this, in this uh, quarantine process, right? We're all wondering what's the next steps and who's in charge to give us those next steps. I had, I had plane tickets to uh, travel to Mexico at the end of March, and um, uh, on a Mexican airplane, airline when uh, this coronavirus hit. And, and I was thinking to myself, you know, I need to call someone to, to see if I can get these, uh, these tickets, you know, reversed and, and maybe some credit for it or whatever it may be. And, and I, ca- I called them and, and they said, well, there, there's really nothing we can do for you. And, and I said, um, I'm sorry, but I, I need to speak to whoever's in charge uh, that can make decisions. And, and, uh, and so I got uh, a supervisor on the phone and, and I pleaded my case. Who, who is in charge here, right? It's a good question for us to ask ourselves, isn't it? Especially with what's happening in the world right now. Who's in charge? Simply because we as believers have said, God, I give you my life. I, I surrender my life to you. My life is not my own, it's yours, God. And so, if that's true, God, you're in charge and you're, you're in control of my life. Yet sometimes I wonder if God is in control. You ever wonder that? Especially with the things that are going on. It, if he's in control, we look around at, at what's happening all around us. God, are you really in control of all these things? Because it seems like things are out of control. Things aren't the way that I think they should be. As we continue through the book of Acts tonight, we're going to see the the church scattered. We're going to see the church persecuted as, as the early church is beginning to grow. Yet what we will understand in all of this is that God is in control, that he is working his will in and through it all. One of the major themes of the book of Acts is the sovereignty of God. Though the early church is under a major persecution, God's plan prevails. Now I looked up the word sovereignty in in the dictionary. And And the definition I found is this, the quality of having supreme independent authority over territory or a people. Ultimately, God has supreme independent authority over us. He is our creator, right? He is the one who holds the world in his hands. The Bible states in Psalm 40 verse 5 that his thoughts toward us cannot be numbered. 
God loves us and he is working his will in our lives always. And he and we see this throughout this book. Even though it seems like the early church is losing the battle and God is allowing persecution and and in death, he also is spreading the gospel to the world and bringing forth victory for his church. Guys, I don't claim to to completely understand the ways of God or his plan. I still have a lot of questions myself. Sometimes I wonder, Lord, how does all this work? But one thing I do know is that God is God and I am not. Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, says the Lord. And it's, it's good to know that no matter how difficult the trial or how disappointing the news, God is still on the throne and he has everything under control. And we may not understand his ways, but we know that his sovereign will is being worked out in its best for us. Let me give you a quick overview of what has happened in the early church so far. Now remember in Acts chapter one, Acts chapter one verse eight says, Jesus tells his disciples, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria into the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, at the end of of Acts chapter seven, the disciples are still hanging out in Jerusalem. And to get them to move beyond Jerusalem, to get them to go go out to to Jerusalem and to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, some disturbing things happen. You see, starting in Acts chapter seven, chaos breaks out. Stephen is murdered, and he becomes the first martyr of the early church, the first to die for his faith. The church is scattered. Look with me at verse 1 of chapter 8. Now Saul was consenting to his death, meaning the death of Stephen, at this time a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And the devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentations over him. As for Saul, He made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. So it was, it wasn't just Peter and John that got put into prison for their faith, which we saw in in chapter 5. Many of the early church were being arrested and put in jail persecution was breaking out at this point the church had been the church had to be thinking god where are you in all of this this is your plan god how how could you 
be allowing these things. Stephen was a, a good man, loved you, and was serving the, the body, and, and yet now he's gone. His, his life was taken, martyred. How could this be your plan? Well, look at verse 4 of Acts chapter 8. Therefore, those who were scattered, meaning the early church, went everywhere, what? Preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the, the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many and who were possessed and many who were par- paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Joy filled the city of Samaria. People were being born again. Yet the church has been scattered. The churches in, in Jerusalem, the, the unity that was there at that time is now being dispersed and, and moved outside of Jerusalem. Persecution didn't stop the church. Then chapter 9, Saul gets saved. Remember? We looked at this last week. The one that was persecuting the church, dragging believers from their, their homes and putting them in prison. And on the road to Damascus, God knocks him on his can, right? Blinds him. And Paul gets saved. Ananias questions God's request for Ananias to go down to the straight street and pray for Saul of Tarsus. Remember? Now let's look at what, what the result of that was. Turn, with, turn over to Acts chapter 9, verse 20. And immediately, he, meaning Paul, preached the, preached the Christ in the, in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in, in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the, the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that, Jesus, that this Jesus is the Christ. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night, to kill him. Then the, then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. God's providential hand on Saul's life. Remember, God has great plans for Saul of Tarsus, right? He's gonna be the one that writes two-thirds of the, the New Testament, Now jump down to verse 31. Then the churches throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and were edified and walked in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and they 
what? Multiplied. They multiplied. Though there was scattering, God multiplies. Though they were scattered and they were, they were sent off in different directions because of the martyr of Stephen, they're multiplying. As we've been watching this pandemic on the news, watching the daily briefings from the, the White House, right? Many, many things uh, we, we listen in and we're trying to understand what, what's really happening with, with all this, this pandemic. And, and, and we've, we've heard all kinds of stories and, 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 and they've shown us all kinds of charts, right? They said, Ground zero is uh, Wuhan, China, and, and this is wh- where it started, and, and we began to see the, the charts or, 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 the, or, or the spread of what, what would happen when, when it comes our way, and they, and they showed us uh, this is what it's going to look like on the first day, and then, and then the second day, and then, and then they said this is what it's going to look like a week from now, and then a month from now. As you saw the charts begin to turn red with the spread of the virus, right? And this is, and then they said, this is the potential death count that could come to, to our nation as they put out all of these, these charts. So church, that's what we're watching here. In Acts chapter 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. This is the spread of the gospel as we see the gospel go from ground zero in Jerusalem and then it goes out to Judea and Samaria and, and Galilee and, and all the, the surrounding regions as it, as it begins to spread and we begin to see the red start to impact the world as God takes the gospel his beautiful good news to the nations. Starting in Acts chapter 8, I mean, uh, uh, starting in Acts chapter 2, we see 100 people, 120 people, starts with 120 people in the upper room. And then after Pentecost, we see 3,120 And then the next thing we see is 8,120. And then Acts tells us that there are more added daily to the church. Day after day, the gospel is spreading. So the gospel has spread to Judea, to Samaria, to Galilee and Damascus. And whole villages were turning to Jesus. Now, what did it say in Acts chapter 1, verse 8? And you will receive power when, you, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my what? Witnesses to where? Jerusalem, starting in Jerusalem, and then Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth, or to the ends of the earth. It's happening. The spread of the gospel. The promise of the Holy Spirit being spread which brings us to Acts chapter 10, where we see the gospel cross ethnic boundaries. It's the first time we see the gospel received by Gentiles. Now, 
I thank God for this because if, if the gospel didn't come to the Gentiles, church, we, we wouldn't be saved. Rocky Mountain, we wouldn't be saved. We wouldn't know the goodness of the grace of God because we're Gentiles. Look with me at verse 1 of chapter 10. And there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, and when he, w- when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a, a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send, send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel spoke to him, spoke to him, had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a, a devout soldier from among, the, from among those who waited on him uh, continu- continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. So he, he hears this, uh, uh, this angel, he, he, he responds, and he takes these three men and sends them down to Joppa. Verse 9, the next day, as they went on their journey and drew near to the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray. So Peter is in Joppa. He's staying at the tanner's house. He went up on the house of the tanner's house to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they but while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound uh, at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-legged animals of the earth, wild beasts and creeping things and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again a second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and then the the object was taken up into heaven again. Peter, seeing something very strange to him, was tested three times by God. Not so, Lord, I can't eat this. He says, what I've, what I've cleansed, you must not call common. And the Lord did this three times, and obviously Peter got the message. Look at verse 17. Now while Peter was wondering wandering within himself, wondering within himself what this vision which he had seen meant. Behold, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for 
for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about this, the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men were seeking, were, are seeking you. Arise, therefore, and go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So Peter, on his way to Cornelius' house by the hand of God, God sends a vision, an angel to Cornelius, speaks to Cornelius and says, hey, can you send three men up to, to Joppa? Yet at the same time, God is doing a work in Peter and God gives Peter this vision. And this vision is so, so odd, so, so uncommon to Peter that, that he's questioning God and saying, God, how could this be? Are you, are you truly wanting me to do this? And he's trying to, he's wondering within himself what this vision means. And yet God says, there's going to be three guys that come to your door, and I want you to go with them. And I want you to go back to Caesarea, and I want you to go to Cornelius' house. And we're going to see the conversion of Cornelius and his family. Converted souls who were going to hell who, who were good peoples. Cornelius was a, a devout man who, who followed the things of God, but, but he didn't know God. He didn't know Jesus, and he had no truth of him. So while Peter was considering what that might mean, these three men show up at, at the door of Tanner's house. So Peter goes down to, to, with the men to Cornelius' house and shares the gospel with them. And, and all of the house of Cornelius gets saved. Now, mind you, this was a Roman centurion, an Italian, not a Jew. Never, didn't know the things of Judaism, yet he knew of the, the, he knew of God and he knew uh, some of the practices. God was teaching Peter another lesson. Peter, I'm for all peoples. I'm not just for the Jews. I'm for the Gentiles. I'm for, I'm for the whole world. I'm fulfilling Abraham, I'm fulfilling Genesis chapter 12 where Abraham receives, receives the, the message from God that he will be a blessing to the nations. Salvation comes to, comes to the Gentiles. A beautiful day. Let's look what happens at, uh, in verse 44 in, in this chapter. For 44, while Peter was still pre speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision, which were the Jews, who believed were astonished as, as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speaking with tongues and, and magnified God. Then Peter 
answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And then they asked him to stay a few days. The gospel is not only crossed city lines and and county lines, it's crossed ethnic lines. And the gospel is going out to the Gentiles. It's not just Judea and Samaria, but it's to the ends of the earth. Because here we see our first convert, Gentile convert, an Italian, Roman centurion. Let's move, jump into chapter 11. Peter then gives a defense to the council because the council was very wondering what is going on. We haven't had any Gentiles get saved and we, we don't know if this is good. Peter, Peter, give us an understanding of what happened. And Peter gives a defense to the council and, and what had happened in Caesarea that God desires to move among the Gentiles And the council was excited to hear that the the gospel was going out beyond the Jews. Now jump down to verse 19. Now those who were scattered across the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Uh, Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. And the news of these things came to the ears of of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that they that, they, that, that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. The church in Jerusalem finds out what's going on in, in, in Antioch, and a revival is beginning to, to break out, and these Hellenists that really weren't complete Jews were starting to... to to, uh, to get saved, and they, and they were starting to give their lives to Christ. And, and here they say, well, we're, we're going to send Barnabas up, and we're going we're gonna to see if Barnabas, what Barnabas thinks of what's going on up there. And, and when Barnabas comes, he sees the grace of God. He sees the beauty of, of the Spirit of God moving amongst these people, and he's so glad and encouraged, and encouraged them to continue with the same heart as they are right then. Guys, they didn't know everything about the, 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 the word of God. These, these young Hellenists that got saved, they, they didn't know all, all to know. They were, just, they were just living out the understanding of Christ and the grace of God, and, and God begins to, to bless. His grace was being poured out on this church. So again, the gospel 
is spreading rapidly as we see the, the, the ground zero Jerusalem in, in red starts to, to permeate the map as we start to see these things spread despite the persecution. Now let's jump into Acts chapter 12. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass, some, to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. Persecuted. The church was persecuted in this moment. Herod, the king, an evil man, Herod Agrippa. He was in power at this time in Jerusalem. Not to get confused with Herod the Great, who ordered the the children in, in Bethlehem to be killed. Remember that? This evil man, Herod Agrippa, was the grandson of Herod the Great and the nephew of Herod Antipas, who had John the Baptist beheaded. Remember John the Baptist when he, his, when he was beheaded? That was Herod Antipas. Yet all these men were evil men against the things of God. And I share this with you to help you understand who was in power at this time in the wickedness that prevailed in the midst of, of the persecution or, or the church being spread from Jerusalem, the early church was facing intense persecution. James, the brother of John, as we know, was killed by the sword. Some say that he was sawn in two or cut with the sword lengthwise. A very brutal death. The first of the apostles to be martyred. Herod, Agrippa, ordered that the Christians be captured and be killed. At this point, it doesn't seem that God is in control. It seems like he's, things are out of control. In fact, it seems like we're wondering who, who's in charge here uh, of, the, of the early church. Passover is on the 14th day of Nisan. Now, the seven, there were seven days after Passover that they would call the Feast of Unleavened Bread. These days were holy days. The, the, the Jews would celebrate and go and, and celebrate for days in Jerusalem. And according to Jewish law, no one could be executed during these, these holy days. So the plan is, I'll, Herod's plan is, I'll, I'll kill James Capture Peter, hold on to him until the holy days are over, and then execute him just like James. You see the evil in this guy, Herod? You see it? If it pleased the Jews when, when James was killed, then just think how delighted they may be if I, I, I give them Peter uh, on the end of their feast. Look at verse 4. 
And when he had, had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to the four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Now, why four squads of soldiers? I mean, this dude, Peter, he's a fisherman. He's not Jason Bourne. He's not, he's not this massive guy that's going to destroy and take out a bunch of people. Why, does, why do they need so many men? Sixteen soldiers, four uh, for each of his watch, for each watch, two soldiers to be chained to him personally, and two to watch the cell. Why do they need so many people? Because word's gotten out. Word's gotten out that they can't seem to keep them in prison when they put them there. Do you think God was worried about these 16 men? <laughs> do, you think, do you think this was a problem for God? Oh, oh no, God wasn't worried. This was no problem for God. Peter was therefore put in prison. Look at verse 5. Peter was therefore put in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. In this verse, the phrase, but constant prayer, is the turning point in this, in this chapter. Now, I think we can uh, put that, that in any situation and see that situation change. Draw up the worst situation. But God, but, but constant prayer was, was offered. Never underestimate the power of a praying church. Church, we need your prayers more than ever right now. Church, we need to be praying as a whole, as a body of, of believers, because God is doing something right now in, in our world, in, in our country, in, in, in the lives of people, and he is about saving and sending and, and advancing the gospel to all ports, parts of the world, and he's going to use what's going on right now to do it. But church, we need to be praying. We need to be praying. We need to be on our knees. We need to be giving these petitions to God. We need to be asking him to go before us and, and to line our prayers up with his will. Why is it that prayer is usually the last resort instead of our first response? Peter's in prison. What should we do? We should worry. We, we should be afraid. We should protest. No, we should pray. We should pray and believe that God's going to move. That's the most powerful thing that we can do as believers. Pray the will of God. I want you to see something here. Peter is stuck in prison, right, with these guards all around him. Every door has been shut except the door of constant prayer. The door of constant prayer. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, avails much. Proverbs 15, 29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. 
Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Can our prayers change the mind of God? Change the will of God? Let me, let me answer that question. I, I don't think so. But somehow, we have a part in playing in this. When our prayers line up with the will of God, oh, watch out, it's explosive and it's powerful. That's why Jesus said, Jesus was always praying the will of his Father. Remember, when he was, when he was in the garden, he was praying the will of the Father. When he, we would see him pray, he would be praying, oh, Father. Church, I don't understand all of this completely. But I do know this. When our prayers meet his will, incredible things start happening. Supernatural things start happening. Another thing is this prayer was fervent prayer. It was constant prayer. This word constant was also used of Jesus' prayer in, in, in Luke chapter 22, verse 44, where it says, and being in agony, remember when Jesus was in the garden, when being in agony, he prayed more earnestly or constantly, then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. This kind of prayer is agonizing prayer, striving toward a goal persevering, contending as an, an athlete would contend. Let your prayers be heartfelt and constant. Not just a few words uh, that don't mean much. Let it be from the heart. Let it be with passion. Let it be with compassion Also, this prayer was offered by the church, it says. It was done in unity. Remember when Jesus said in, in Matthew eighteen twenty, for where there is two or more gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. The early church was in crisis, but the church was also unified in prayer. You want to turbocharge your prayer life? Get together with other believers. Begin to pray over the phone right now. Get together on face, uh, uh, FaceTime or, or Zoom or whatever you gotta do and begin to pray together. Begin to say, hey, let's pray. Let's put these things uh, before, before the Lord. You know, Pastor Eric could really use your prayers right now. His family could use your prayers. The church right now could use your prayers. The persecuted church on the other side of the world can use your prayers right now so that we can see the, the advancement of the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now let me sum this up and let you know what happens here in the rest of this chapter for the sake of time. The church was praying and God was working. God wakes up Peter in the middle of his cell by an angel. He shines a light on Peter and, and Peter doesn't wake up. 
And, and eventually he has, to, he has to strike Peter on the side and say, dude, get up. Peter must have been a, a heavy sleeper. We, we see this in Peter's life as, as at the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter's asleep, right? We see, we see in the night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter was sleeping, right? Peter had a sleeping problem. Yet Peter was in prison. And what's interesting is Peter doesn't, doesn't worry. Peter's not upset. He's not, he's not worried. He, he's fast asleep. You know why? Because he knew and he remembered the things that, that God, that Jesus told him in John chapter 21, where he said, you, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna suffer for my name. And, and it will be when you're old that your life will be taken from you. So Peter wakes up. The angel strikes him. The chains fall off of Peter. And they walk right through the walls of the prison and the angel leads him to the city gates and is reunited with the church that was praying for him. You can read on. You can read the rest of this. It's really good. There's a, a girl in, in the story called Rhoda, and, and he goes to the house of the church where they're praying, and, and, and he knocks on the door, and Rhoda comes to the door, and, they say, and she says, who is it? And, and he says, Peter. And she's so excited that he, she runs back to the, to the people praying and says, the church, and says, hey, guys, Peter's at the door. And they said, ridiculous. Yet Rhoda forgot to open the door for Peter. You can read it. But let me end with these verses tonight as we see the church protected. We see the church protected. Jump down to verse 21. Herod, this evil man, Herod, who was persecuting the church, is killed by the angel of the Lord. Look at this in verse 21. So on a set day, Herod, uh, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died but the word of God grew and multiplied. The word of God grew and multiplied. And, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. And they, and they also took with them John, John, whose surname was Mark. Look at verse 24 again. And the word of God grew and multiplied. As we end out tonight, Here's two things I want to pull out from these four chapters that are important for us to, to walk in, to hold on to, that God has given us in Christ Jesus. 
Here's the first one. Despite all the beauty in the world, all the life in this world, all the blessing that comes from being alive, the world will at times look chaotic and out of control. And although it looks chaotic to us, it never looks chaotic to God. It never looks chaotic to God. Never, ever is it out of control of his hand. He is completely in charge. He never frets. He never worries. God governs the chaos. He puts roots down in it. So when 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10 happens, where it says, we are hard pressed on every side, yet we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but do not despair. Persecuted, but are not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in our body the dying of the Lord, that, that the life of Christ also may be ma- manifested in our body. So when that happens, that we're not surprised. So when the things of this world that don't seem right or seem good happen, that we're not surprised. On staff just a little, just a few months ago, Jenny Ledbetter, our children's ministry um, employee, who was faithful for many years here at Rocky Mountain Calvary, fought cancer for several years. And I remember Jenny so well. She was so, so high-spirited. Such a beautiful woman of God. Her testimony was so good. Never complained, never worried, never, never worried about the, the cancer that was, was attacking her body. Her eyes were always fixed on Jesus. Always had the best outlook on things. So glad-hearted. And then I ask, Lord, why? Why her? Why can't you take the grumpy ones, Lord? Why can't you take the ones that are, that are just grumpy in the church? Why her? I mean, it's a win-win if, if the grumpy ones are taken because then they're with you and I don't have to hear them anymore. But why her? She was so effective for you. She was so young, in her 40s. Lord, why? Church, there are days that I'm perplexed. Church, there are days that I don't understand. Yet I know this. God rules and he reigns over all that chaos. You see, the reason that we as Christians can have joy on a day like Jenny's memorial service 
is because we believe that God is a sovereign over all things. Even the day of death for a person. And that is, and that, is, and that he is good. And that he is beautiful in that governance. So how do we reconcile these two things? These two thoughts. If God is so good, then how can we explain all the wrong in the world? How can we explain the death of children and the innocent and disease and COVID-19? Well, the easy answer is sin. The hard answer is, I don't know. The hard answer is, but what about, what about believers that, that, that love you? And yet the Bible says the rain comes down on the just and the unjust. You see, my answer to you is I, I don't know. But let's continue in this thought. I've just turned 49, and I have studied the Bible for many years. I've traveled to over 40 different countries. I would say that I'm a pretty learned man, yet that's nothing compared to the knowledge and the wisdom of God in his uh, infinity. Who am I to think that I can understand God's ways? Let me put it this way. My daughters, when they were really little, they had their view of of the world. They had their view of what things would be like, what they should be like. And and I had my view, and my view was different than their view. They, They would want this to eat. And I would think that, no, that that's not good for you. And, and they had, this is the time I want to go to bed. And, and this is the way I want life to be. Now, I saw that differently. Because I was much older and much wiser than them. And my years, the years, there was a huge gap in, in years between me and my girls. What must the gap be between God and myself? If that's true, then what must the gap be between God and myself? Church, I better not be able to completely understand God and his ways. Or he's way too small for me to be God for me to worship. And how do we know that he is good? How do we know that God is good? The cross. The cross is what gives us that truth. As Jesus went to the cross, he displayed love. He displayed what is good. He displayed that he is for us and not against us. The cross. And second, my second thought is this as we close. Our bad days 
our, ba- our worst days here on earth will lead to better days, which will then lead to perfect days. What do you mean, Pastor Sean? Revelation chapter 21, at the end of the book, at the end of the Bible, verse one, it says, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God." And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the formal things have passed away. You see, our bad days, our worst days here on earth will lead to better days, and then will lead to perfect days. Isaiah 65 says, remarks on this same section, and behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. You see, church, we won't remember our worst days, and that's the better days coming. You see, we're not going to remember the pain. We're not going to remember the loss. We're not going to remember the suffering, and we're not going to remember the hurt. God's going to make it all better. There will be no more remembrance of those bad days. So as I close and pray, let me give you this thought. Rest in him tonight. Rest in him even in the chaos As we look at these chapters, we see a scattered church multiplied. We see a persecuted church protected. We see the hand of God and his sovereign love for his his people as he accomplishes his will on this earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this incredible truth tonight, Lord. The truth that you're in control, that you're in charge, that nothing passes through your hands without you knowing Lord, as we look around this world and we see all of the chaos, Lord, you are sovereignly in control and above it all, working your will in it. So Lord, may we trust that. May we believe that. May we hold on to that tonight. 
And Lord, for those that have experienced the worst of days, bad days, Lord, may they believe and trust in your promises that that better days are coming and, and that will lead to perfect days with you. So Lord, as we look into the future, as we look forward into what is going on and what is going to happen in our world, Lord, we we trust you, knowing that you have it all in your hands. Lord, continue to teach us, continue to keep our hearts humble, continue to keep us broken before you, Lord, that we may understand and know your will. Lord, just as Peter and Cornelius heard your voice and they met up with each other, Lord, because of the Spirit of God speaking to them, Lord, may we listen to you. May we hear your voice and may you connect the dots to to the people and the, the situations that you want us to be involved in and may we speak your name when that happens. May we never... May we never compromise your gospel. But may we speak the name of Jesus when you give us that opportunity. Lord, help us, Lord, to be your church. Lord, Jesus said that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And Lord, we know that you're building your church. So continue building. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.